Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now a show that's going to give you the truth about the biggest epidemic of our times. We're all a little crazy. Welcome back to another episode of We're All a Little Crazy, uh, brought to you by hashtag same here, global mental health movement. We don't have Darren for this episode, which is a little disappointing because uh, the focus is going to be a little bit on cryptocurrency and NFT, what Darren does behind the scenes while we are on these podcasts, oftentimes on his phone. Um, but we do have special guest today, Matt Serzer, who had an incredible run uh, in 2016 with the World Series champion Chicago Cubs has been a major league baseball player for a good part of his career, uh, currently playing with the uh, a minor league system with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, so, Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here and uh, sharing my story. Absolutely, brother. And, and you know, to, to give everyone, you know, a little background on how Matt and I met each other, it wasn't that long ago, I got a text from Darren um it was leading up into mental health awareness month um so i think it was end of april if i'm if i'm remembering the date correctly and darren said i've got this guy you know baseball player he's into nft art and full disclosure matt i had no idea what nft art was okay <laughs> and, and and there might be people listening who don't have any idea either right but but what was amazing to me was okay not only a, a, a baseball player who's into art right because that's really interesting to me that there is an athlete who, while he's in his prime and playing, also has this passion for something off the field. But the reason why Darren thought to put us together is because Matt created a piece called Fighting My Demons, which aesthetically I thought was beautiful. So Matt will go into that as well. And then, you know, Matt was generous enough to, to, to say, I want to donate a percentage of proceeds to a charity knew that Darren had a relationship, you know, here with, with a mental health charity. So that worked out well. And then even, you know, both of you making sure the verbiage was such that, you know, there was a symbiotic nature to what you were putting out there about normalizing the conversation instead of saying things like stop the stigma, which we, we don't necessarily use in our vernacular vernacular here. So, so Matt, you know, I guess before diving into the the crypto piece and the NFT piece, which I find fascinating, and, and I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation as it pertains to mental health with crypto because of the volatility and the fluctuation in um, the value of that currency recently. Uh, you know, you were a two-sport athlete at Villanova, um, a, a school that, that most are really familiar with. Uh, two-sport athlete in college is not the most common thing in the world. Um, so, so props to you there. I, I can't wait to hear about your experience at school. But take us back, if you wouldn't mind, before that as a child. I'm assuming if, you, if you're a two-sport athlete in college where you start to specialize a little bit, you must have been playing every friggin' sport there was as a kid growing up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, my parents 
you know, put us in everything from, you know, we were in wrestling, hockey, karate, uh, soccer, basketball, baseball, football, you know, every, everything we could do, um, we were doing it. And, and, you know, God bless my parents because, you know, I have an older brother too. So we were all kind of, they were all over the place and, and, and they did it for us, man. It was, the weekends were crazy. Always. I always remember being like all over the place on the weekends. Um, then once I got to college or high school, I, you know, decided to kind of like stick with a couple, uh, things that I could, you know, one, earn a scholarship with and two kind of like set me up for, for the future. So I chose, you know, and I, I wrestled all throughout to, to grade school, eighth grade. And then once I got to high school, I kind of, I kind of figured that wouldn't help me in the future as much as, you know, baseball or football would. And then, you know, in the wintertime during wrestling, I, I would run winter track and I felt that, that that would help me get faster for football and baseball. So I just thought it was a, was a good decision to, to kind of keep those intertwined. So if I'm hearing you correctly there, Matt, you're playing every sport, even karate as you're younger, when you get to high school, you're already in the mindset going into ninth grade, first year of high school, which are the sports that will take me to the next level in something I need to figure out some time type of way to concentrate still using the winter middle season as a track season to keep yourself you know, athletic and, and, and to train, but you were already in the mindset by ninth grade. Like I want to take this to the next level somewhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, I figured, you know, wrestling, you go to the Olympics or you could be a professional wrestler or, you know, in a WWF or, you know, whatever it was back in the day, um, you know, basketball, I was a short dude. So I really, and then I really didn't play too much basketball growing up in grade school. I was always wrestling. So I figured, you know, there's kind of no point to do that. And as far as hockey and soccer, you know, i football season was during soccer. So I, I kind of put away soccer and then, you know, for, for hockey, I was, I was pay, playing street hockey. So I was running around on my feet and I knew that wasn't going to, going to really take me anywhere. So, so I kind of stuck with baseball, football and, and I, I became, uh, I went into winter track. So, all right. As, as you're developing as an athlete in high school and you're specializing in the sport, and the answer might be not at all because it wasn't for me, but but you might have gone down a different path is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jumping back and forth in timelines here. I mentioned to everyone that you and I connected over this piece, this NFT piece that you did fighting my demons. Is mental health even on your radar screen in high school? Is it something you're taking into consideration, whether from a proactive perspective of I need to train my brain to be the strongest possible or in a reactive way like shit's not feeling right or i'm not feeling my best what do i do in these situations or was it completely just sports 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 run stadium stairs and i'm good yeah it's it's actually funny that you mentioned that now because looking back on it um you know even from now like i never thought that there there were any of those issues but before before every football game i would throw up because of like nerves and anxiety and it was just like second nature for me to do it. And I never thought anything of it, but like talking about mental health, you know, there was definitely anxiety going on. <laughs> well, you're uh, Matt, I'm laughing as you give that question. I, I shared this story the other day. So, so we do these college uh, uh, tours. Darren's been on them before. And, and so one of the schools we went to is Boise state, which is there's some big boys on that team there. Right. And, and <laughs> you know, uh, uh, we, we go there and we're doing an event. We call them same here sit downs. We've got a, um, a, pro, a professional athlete up there, a guy named Big Joe Foria, who played for the Lions for a while, a tight end, played at UCLA. 
And and the way the session goes is about an hour and a half of us, you know, presenting, talking, story sharing, normalizing conversation, and then it's open up to Q and A. And so in front of a room of 800 of his peers and then probably 200 or so athletic directors and coaches, this guy, remember his first name was Riley, stands up. He's on the defensive line, I think it was, for for Boise State. And first part of his question, really deep voice, like, Mr. Cusin, right? Like, it's funny to even be called that. Mr. Cusin, I have a question. When we get on the field as athletes and before we get that first hit, before we have that first collision, you know, our mind is racing with anxiety and like high pitch, right? And no one in the room knew what to do at the time because here it is, this guy who's like this behemoth of a dude who everyone, you know, reveres in schools. Like, wow, like this is this is the model of what an athlete's supposed to be. And his voice just cracked. And, I, you know, I knew I had to kind of take, you know, control the room at that point and use it towards a positive. And I said, you know, Riley, if you don't mind me saying this, that was the greatest act of courage I've seen tonight of anyone who shared. He said that anxiety, as you just said, it has been building up inside of you and building up inside of you. And the reason why it sounded like it sounded is because it exploded out of you. Because what we do is as human beings, let alone athletes, is we think, oh, it's anxiety. No big deal. It's just this thing. Right. And and like to your point, this is what made me think of it. Oh, I just throw up like no big deal. Right. But when we don't put a voice to it and we don't share it, how it can fester and build and then explode like that. And, you know, to, to, for that to give permission, and then I just, I just shared with everyone else who was in the room, you know, the anxiety that you feel going to a game, a volleyball game, a basketball game, you know, it doesn't have to be a football game or any, any type of, you know, performance for that matter. It doesn't even have to be sports. What builds up inside of us and then what we don't actually allow out and, and work on and, and the manifestation of what that looks like. So anyway, I, I thought it was really interesting with you sharing the throwing up like, oh, yeah, no big deal. I just throw up before every game. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, I did it in college too, before every game. And it's pretty much the same exact thing. What he said, like before that, before that first hit, you have so much, you know, I remember like kneel, kneeling down on the sidelines, throwing up and just and I was fine. I was just uh, I guess I was just nervous or, you know, whatever. But you know, I just, I never got that feeling playing baseball or, you know, you know, so, so for me, it was just like, yeah, you know, I, I'll just, I just throw up before the games and I'm fine. I don't know if there's, I, I didn't know what the deal was. Um, and then I, as soon as I stopped playing football, I never did it anymore. <laughs> well, so, all right. So, so that's like your first foray into, you know, there's these, these feelings, these thoughts in my mind, but it doesn't stop you which here are the parallels that I think are so interesting. It doesn't stop you from pursuing going on to high level competition. Right. And I, and I think when you're passionate about something, right, like the analogy that my doctor used with me when I first started to put this whole picture together was Eric, you had a front row seat for the game of life and shit that was going on in your life and difficult events that you were, you were living through. But um, you know, the this mud was caking up and building on you. And, and what she means by mud is that the game of life was represented by this wrestling match in front of me, this muddy wrestling match. Every move my brother made to stay alive, he was hitting the mat and the mud was splattering on me. And every move that my friends made, the ones that ultimately passed away, the mud, the mud was splattering and hitting on me. And because I had this myopic focus on playing sports and then working in professional sports, I didn't notice 
this mud cumulatively building on me because I'm Eric the athlete, right? I'm Eric the sports executive. I'm able to perform. I'm able to get things done. I can lose myself in that, that I'm not paying attention to the stuff that is is building on top of me, right? And so even though you've got, you know, some of these feelings going into games and 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 <laughs> you're throwing up before them, um, you you go to college and and hey, you're Matt the two star the the two sports star, right? That that's just how people look at you. Yeah, and I'm and I'm you know, obviously while you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, maybe the I, I don't know, maybe it's because I had a full scholarship and I felt a little bit more uh, pressure to perform as a football player than I did as a baseball player. Cause at, at baseball, you know, I, I knew I was good and my scholarship was all in football. I was just a two sport athlete that had a full football scholarship that played baseball. So maybe, maybe there was a little bit more pressure on myself to, to perform, uh, which, which could be possible. Um, but yeah, dude, as soon as, as soon as I stop playing football, you know, obviously I get nerves before every, every game and, and it's, I don't know if it's nerves as, as much as excitement or, you know, energy that, you know, I'm, I'm excited to go out and play. Um, I feel like there's a difference and you can tell the difference. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty wild thinking about it now. Well, is it, you know, we're going to get to later in your career, but like, you know, I think we're, we're when you, when you're able to perform at a high level, right. And people see, like Matt, you know, he, he, he's playing three different positions in football, right? Like it's a pretty impressive thing to do. Or he's batting over 300 in baseball. We, when we're performing at whatever it is we have God-given talent and ability at, no one's looking at us being like, Matt's only performing at 80% of his ability, 78% of his ability. They're like, Matt's performing. And probably even to ourselves, we're like, hey, you know, uh, my, my stats – my production relative to other people is pretty high. You don't take into like if you were eighty percent of yourself with with your with your ankle strength, right, or or your wrist speed, right, because you had an injury, you'd certainly friggin' notice that, right? And, and and you 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 do something about it to start to heal or work on or rehab whatever it was, right? But but when we're able to perform in spite of what we're dealing with in our head, right? Like you, you don't do anything about it until things start to come crashing down a little bit more. And is it helpful to hear? It sounds like it, it resonated with you that because we have such, you know, uh, uh, and I'm not saying we, meaning you and I, meaning anyone, some people, their skills in math, science, chess, right? Debate team, whatever it is. But, but when we have this talent in a certain area, that talent seems to be something that we're able to hang our hat on and to, and to push forward with in spite of the other things that might be holding us back. Does that, does that help kind of clarify things a little bit? And as you look back, help illuminate a little bit of, of maybe what you were experiencing in college. Um, see, I, what I resonated with that, with what you said was, you know, exactly why I created the piece of fighting with my demons just because, yep. you know, it's, it sucks to go out there and, and feel like hurt every day. You know, and, and for a while there, you know, last year I had a torn oblique and had surgery on, I had a sports hernia as well. And, you know, I, I had been playing with that for, you know, a year or two years and I, and it just kept on repeating and kept on happening and kept on happening. And my groin would hurt again. My, my oblique would hurt, hurt again. And it was rehab and, you know, go play for a couple of weeks and then the same thing would happen. 
and it was to the point where it was like, dang, you know, what, what am I doing right now? Like everything that I try and do to rehab and then I come back, I still end up injuring it. So it was almost like I was going out there and, and I couldn't work like everybody else works. Like I couldn't, I couldn't put in the time in the weight room or I couldn't put, put the time in the cage. I was just going out there to survive instead of play, if that makes sense. You know, so, so it feels, you know, and when I did the fighting my demons piece, you know, I had uh, 2019 arena, I had some quad injuries and, and this past spring training, you know, I, I felt great going into spring training and, you know, literally my first step out of the box during a game, my quad tightened up on me and I was like, fuck, man, like, is this shit going to happen again? And it's almost like, you know, you, you know, you're good enough to play, but, you know, mentally you're like, all right, well, I just got to survive. I got to be on the field. I got to I got to just be out there to continue to play. And for me, like, that's not how I want to play. You know, I don't want to play baseball at 60, 70 percent just to survive. Like, so for me, it's it's not worth it. Like if, if I'm out there trying to survive, I would rather just go home. You know, I want to be out there and I want to play and play the game, whether, you know, as I tell my wife, you know, you know, I, I'd rather be out there grinding with the boys, taking an 0 for 5 with punch outs than be sitting on the bench watching everybody play and me being hurt and not having to deal with what they're going through. If that yeah. makes any sense, like the mental. No, program. it makes, makes, yeah. more, well, I, I, I appreciate that as a professional athlete, you're able to put words to what your experience was and that you're explaining what the emotional and mental pain is that comes along with physical pain, right? It, because we, those things get separated all the time. It's like, oh, well, Matt, you're injured go to rehab and and do this with the strength and conditioning coach and you're going to get back right and, and by the way not so different given the example of my brother with, with cancer it was like take the chemo meds you know get the radiation no one's working on what is this doing to him mentally and emotionally you know so so just the mere fact that you notice that in your own mind um and that and that you you were able to you know, I guess put a put a value towards it or or, or understand it is huge, but then th there's a next step to this, Matt, which is in in you recognizing it and putting that value towards it as evidence of this piece. And and please go beyond this piece if there's other examples. Like you're willing to be open and public about that, and that's not always the case with professional athletes. And and I'll give that. Not, you know, I know the, the cliche term in this space is always like, oh, does this show weakness or something? That's not what I mean by that. Like, or, or, or is, or, you know, is this a mark on him for, for, for what's not that what I've heard from some athletes, their fear of opening up about their stuff, whatever their stuff is in this case, you know, the emotional leading from the physical is that that's going to then help your uh, opponents in some way, right? So the catcher who's behind the plate, you know, going to be able to get in your ear, oh, I heard you're, you're, you're fucking up a little bit because things don't feel well right now, right? And just saying something to you. Or or the guy who's trying to take your spot on your team. I know that sound might, might sound foreign to some people. You know, we have uh, Tracy Murray is on our alliance, uh, the, the NBA player, former NBA player. He told me flat out, you know, it, it back in the in the in the 90s and the early 2000s, if he was open about some of the shit he was dealing with, he was afraid that guys who he was playing against on his own friggin' team, you know, in 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 practices might use that against them because they're competing for spots to be able to get on those rosters just like anyone else is. So 
you know, talk a little bit, if you will, about your willingness and open openness and in in sharing what some of those struggles feel like. Um, what was your reason for doing it, and and how does it make you feel being open about it? Yeah, I, I mean, see, like even even like me sharing that, I still feel like I'm I'm really mentally tough. You know, I I feel like there's there's nobody like I'm still super confident in myself and my ability and. And I know that there's nobody that cannot work me. And for me to open up, it was just like, you know, just, just a feeling that I, that I was going through. And, and, and it wasn't even like, um, like the feeling that I went through trying to stay on the field and dealing with pain, like that is something that I would never wish upon somebody because, you know, it's just a really shitty feeling. But I, I wasn't afraid to to release that because, like I said, I'm 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 very confident in myself, and I think I'm mentally strong. Strong and and you know there, there's stuff there's like facts behind that, like you know, two sport athlete, like all American, like you know, I'm able to kind of remind myself of those those accomplishments to to kind of promote those feelings, you know, and it, and it's and for me, it, it was just it was just honestly it was easy to put out there and I didn't think any anybody would ever say anything to me about it because I just didn't think like that and, and if they did I, I feel like I would just kind of brush them off and and it well, wouldn't I'm, get I'm to laughing me, you as you're I mean? saying this in, in a positive way right because like you know it, it sounded like some of the things I was saying about my own experience you know made you kind of reposition and think about things in your head and then you're saying things about your experience and it's making me think about my own road that I've been on and it's like when you've been through some of the depths of hell with certain things and you come out of it, you're like, bring it on, motherfucker. <laughs> you're like, nothing right now can can knock me off, right? And, and your confidence level that no one would bring that up to try and take you down, it, what, I, what I'm really think I'm hearing, and, and I would say it's, it's um, you know, similar to how I feel right now, is even if they want to bring it up, like, go ahead because I'm so confident in my body right now, in my mind right now, because of what I faced and what I've overcome that putting it out there, like the thought of someone trying to take me down because of it doesn't even resonate with me. <laughs> it does. It's not even a blip on the radar screen because like once I've gotten over some of those ridiculous obstacles, like it feels like there's nothing that can stop me. Right. And that's, and that's what I was trying to explain. I, I really couldn't put in the words, you know, how, what I thought, but, you know, I listened to a podcast of Joe Rogan and he was talking about, um, like the, like how there was so many people that were committing suicide and had, you know, mental problems and, and were, were really struggling with depression over COVID. And he's like, you know, we, we all are struggling with something and he's like, I make sure I eat healthy and I make sure that I beat the shit out of myself in the gym every day so that I know that I'm outworking everybody. And, and those, those kind of, those kind of thoughts help me get through the day. And, and I'm so tired that I can't even, I can't even think about like depression. I think about, you know, like recovering and, and like doing my, my work, my podcast and, and just trying to trying to stay away from 
any other thought processes, you know, like, like how often when you're sitting in the hotel room, like right, right where I am and I'm scrolling through social media, if I was like, you know, doing push-ups and sit-ups and just kind of killing myself on a, a rogue machine or, you know, uh, a rower, which I have done, like, you know, I, I remember being in football and just always like, just trying to outwork people. And you're just so tired that you don't even think of things like that. And I, and I think like, that helped me for life after baseball on what I would do. Like if I ever trying to like had thoughts like that anymore, you know, art, art in my family helped me. And that's part of the fight. My demons um, have helped me tremendously, but I feel like to get that competition, that competition feeling that, you know, you, you talked about like, that is what I'll do. Like, you know, I will, you know, I'll, I'll definitely like put in some serious work in the weight room for sure. Well, what, what you're describing there and what you what you picked up from Joe, you know, a lot of people will come and ask when we do these sessions, you know, programmatically with, with same here is why do I feel the way that I do during the pandemic? What What is causing this? Right. And, and I, I like putting structure to things because it helps me better understand them. And so it doesn't mean that this is, you know, the totality of the challenges that we face. But but what has changed during the pandemic versus what we've experienced, what we normally experience in, a, in an average day, right? Is one, we have more, bucket number one is we have more what if scenarios running through our minds. So what if I get sick? What if a family member gets sick? What if, you know, in your case, Major League Baseball can't play or 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 games are cut, right? And and there's no roster spots for me, right? Like it's it's this continuous what if, what if, what if. Second thing is loss of routine and loss of purpose, right? Because again, when games are shut down on your case, but most other people, when their offices are shut down or they're not coming in daily to see other people in the offices, that changes the way they feel not only about themselves, but about others around them and what their value is and what their purpose is. So, so that kind of gets taken away. And then the third thing is, and this really resonates with what Rogan was saying, is we lost all the things that were hobbies for us, right? We, we weren't able to go watch you guys play baseball. We weren't able to go to basketball games, go to movies, go out to dinner with friends. Um, and so, you know, the whole Netflix and chill thing was kind of, it wasn't just chill. It was like Netflix and kind of live there on the couch. Um, but but what happens when the when the hobbies got taken away and the things that we were passionate about is the, the subconscious mind starts to be able to leak more into the conscious mind because we don't have those things buffering us. And so you'll be sitting there, you know, I, I use this analogy a lot or this example a lot and people usually laugh when I say it, but it's like you're watching a Netflix movie and then all of a sudden you're watching a scene and you're like, wait a second, why did that just remind me of when I was 13 and Jimmy didn't pick me in gym class, right? Like it's just the most random ship comes up, right? So what Rogan's doing in that case, and what it sounds like you're doing when you talk about push-ups or sit-ups or stuff like that, is instead of allowing downtime to be downtime where bucket number one, the what-if scenarios continue to pop up, bucket number two, the the lack of routine is even worse because I'm just sitting on my couch and 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 I'm yeah, I'm getting work done, but I'm in my sweats and I'm not really, you know, getting things done structurally the way that I did before. And now because of that, bucket three, all these subconscious thoughts are coming into my conscious mind instead of doing that he created routine around what he knows he's passionate about which in his case is training right we know that he's an mma guy um and in your case getting the best physical shape that you can um because you're you're playing a sport you have a goal here of getting back to the majors and all that and so when you put purpose and process towards things 
um, what it does is it allows us to, um, you know, to, uh, to, to, to take ourselves away from this day to day of like perseveration and, and all these difficult things that we typically focus on. And by the way, that doesn't mean that those aren't things that we have to work on. Like there, there are certainly things that we eventually have to find time to put time towards, but structure and routine is such an important piece of being a functional individual, you know? And I think that this pandemic took that, that ability so much away from us. So, uh, so appreciate your, your example there. I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit, um, Matt, because, you know, going into the NFT world and, and, and the crypto world, take me through, if you wouldn't mind the, um, you know, how, how does one get involved? Like, first off, were you, were you an artist before you ever got into NFT? That's first question. Second question, did you start to understand the crypto world <laughs> before you started understanding the NFT world? How, how does that come about? Are you in crypto in addition to being in the NFT world? Th th this whole, this whole environment amazes me. Well, yeah, let me just like start off by saying, you know, you were saying about you know is there going to be spot on the roster for me like that this this is why i really i got into the nft space you know i i literally like i said i had uh oblique surgery and i had a sports hernia i did a double surgery right at the same time so last year i didn't play baseball and you know i was a little nervous that i wouldn't get a job but you know i i wasn't i wasn't that nervous but I had to think about the future if I wasn't going to get a baseball job. So I did, and that part of my routine was, you know, I literally grinded every day to try and figure out ways to make more money and to set myself up for the future if, if I wasn't able to play baseball. And, you know, I made some money playing baseball and I saved and, and, you know, that, that, that helped. Um, but I wanted to, to figure out ways to make more money and, and like I said, set us up for the future. And, I, and I've been doing art for, for six years, uh, since 2016. Uh, but really my whole life, my, my dad did art. He would make like, he would make like carvings and he would sketch and he, he, he did everything, man. He was, he's, is, is really legit. And he still does stuff all the time. And I was always kind of by his shoulder watching him as, as he did these things. So I, I took interest in, in art as a, as a young kid. So all throughout high school and grade school, I was always taking art. And then in 2016, when we won the World Series, my wife and I had, had decided to start our foundation. Um, and it's, you know, about, about bone marrow. We raise awareness. We also need to raise uh, awareness for uh, like join the registry. Uh, we donate money for Thanksgiving and, and for food and, and, and presents. And when people in our area have, uh, you know, has some complications with cancer, cancer, we, we donate to that as well. Um, so I wanted to have some, some cool projects for people to, to bid on. And I decided to paint uh, myself as a baseball player and a football player. And both of the paintings raised $500 each. And then that year, the, the Cubs had reached out and said, hey, we have our bricks and ivy ball. Would you be willing to do a picture of the World Series for us? And I was like, heck, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it. And so I painted a picture of KB and Riz, like, about to jump and, and uh, like, hug each other after winning the World Series. 
for, for the art connoisseurs of the world here, uh, when you're talking about painting, are you talking about acrylics? I'm talking about uh, spray paint and stencils. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I painted them, did it for the Brick, Bricks and Ivy Ball, and it, they, I think the painting raised, it raised either 35 or 40 grand. I'm not 100% sure on the price. Um, so since then, I was like, damn, like I got to, if, if I'm raising this kind of money for art, and uh for people like i i gotta start i gotta start painting so since 2016 I've, I've been painting like you know icons athletes just stencil paintings and i've been selling you know really well so so i, I have like the title as a as an athlete artist for the last you know like like i said five or six years and the reason why i got into the nfts were you know I, uh somebody had added myself and micah johnson and on Twitter and said, I'd love for you guys to do a collab. And Micah actually introduced me to the NFTs and I had no idea what Ethereum was or NFT, you know, what an NFT was, had no idea. So what we did was we did a painting of uh, George Floyd and it was, I think it's a really powerful painting, you know, a, a black baseball player and a white baseball player who are both, both artists pick one side of the canvas to express how they, how they feel of, you know, the whole, the whole George Floyd thing. And, and we did it. And Mike was like, Hey, we're going to do a drop too on it. We'll do a physical one and an NFT. And I was like, what the heck's an NFT? And he was like, I, uh, you know, I'll explain to you. So I was like, all right, man, like I, I trust you. So the, we did like a one of one NFT. And then I think it was like an open edition of maybe 200 of them. And he texted me. I, I, I forgot when they were going when they were going live. So he texted me and was like, hey, we just sold out. And I was like, what? Sold out? And I looked over to my wife and I was like, hey, we sold out our NFTs. And she was like, what's an NFT? I was like, I, I have no idea. So the physical, the physical version uh, sold to Jason Hayward for 10 grand. And... Uh, the NFT version, one of one, sold for a thousand dollars, and the editions, like I said, uh, I think there were there was like eighty or sixty, and they sold for two hundred each, and we raised twelve grand with them. So, so let me break that down. To yeah, understand sorry, there's that. a lot. There's a lot. No, there. no, no. I, but I, you know, it, look, I'm I'm sure I'm learning this along the way. With listeners will be listening. So, there's the original art, which sells for the highest amount. Then there's a one-of-one one NFT, which is a digital version of this art. That one-of-one one sells for a certain amount. And then there's additions on top of that that are done in a digital way, but they're just not one-of-one, one, but they're still limited that sell for less than what the one-of-one one did, but still bring in a certain amount of revenue each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The So I feel like now... It's 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 even hard to explain now, man. Like one of ones are, are definitely the most popular, and they they sell for the most. Uh, when we did the George Floyd painting, I feel like it was still super super early to NFTs. So if we were to do that one of one right now, I think it would be like you know twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. But I feel like we were we were like the sixth drop of Nifty Gateway. I don't know if you've heard of Nifty Gateway. They're like one of the premier platforms. And uh, they absolutely dominate. And when we did it, there was there was still it was still very very early. And so okay, so you you 
the the process do you have any idea <laughs> at this point when you created the hard copy version not, not hard copy but the actual physical version of your art do you have any idea how the hell the digital one is even made do they even take you through the process of this uh, he just told me that he was gonna take a picture okay and yeah that's it dude i'm telling you bro i had no idea i was like because because when i see nfts like you're you know fighting my demons one there's movement taking place in it right yeah so the so the movement in this one was a movement done by tommy wilson who's another baseball player and what he did was i guess george floyd wanted to be a supreme court judge so in the like on the right side of the painting that was in like that was moving letters like that was appearing but the but and that was the one of one and in the all the other ones like the open editions they didn't move it was just the the portrait and so do do, do all one of one nfts have some kind of movement in it is that a standard piece of nft art no they don't they don't need to there's uh you know there's some photographers that are getting into nfts that are selling for a lot of money and they're it's just strictly photography you know i i feel like the 2d animations do do pretty well which is like what i do um they do better than just a regular 2d painting and then so it goes like 2d 2d animations and like a 3d and a 3d animations and i feel like they're all they all do pretty well and so you know going to to simple microeconomic theory back in in the day when we were all in college so if i'm understanding the nft world correctly it, it's the creation of some kind of art that you're putting a limited amount out there so that based on the the, the supply demand relationship there's only one of these it's done by matt matt's an artist and a baseball player that's a unique combination because of that, not so dissimilar, and I'm not trying to, to downplay it, to a baseball card that I value or a piece of artwork on a wall that I would buy because I enjoy walking by and seeing it. There's a group of people who have a certain intrinsic value, it, it, not intrinsic, but real value towards this piece that's being created. And you're tapping into that market of people who see the value in something that's created that wasn't created before that's now being put on this new platform. Yeah, and I, and I think the big time value is the ownership of the painting. You know, it's always in the blockchain, so it's always like tracked. And I feel like, you know, say I did a painting for you, um, you could go around, you could go sell it and do whatever you wanted with it. And I would never see royalties or anything from that. So I feel like, and if you sold it, I would have no idea where it's at and it could just move from hands to hands whereas like selling an nft on the blockchain you always kind of know where the ownership lies and it's always on there who has owned it previously if that makes sense yeah there's a certain cachet of like i was the first to own this even if you ultimately end up selling it right exactly or exactly as the artist you're able to see look at the different types of people who've owned my work this is pretty cool right so okay so so the the first piece he took the picture of let's go back to fighting my demons you create the artwork on a canvas and then did you personally take the digital art did you take the picture and then you send it to be created in a certain way how does that work no, no so <laughs> so for all of my digital art has been strictly 
digital art, whereas I don't even create it on the canvas. I just oh, create okay. it on an iPad and then put it through um, a program on my, my laptop to, to animate it. And there's, there's a learning curve, man. It's, you know, everybody thinks it's so easy, but, you know, I've been doing it for, I've been painting for six years. So I, I understand, and pretty much my whole life. So I understand, like, I have always, always have I like creative ideas to, to put on canvas and it's just much easier to, to do it on, on an iPad because it's so much easier to erase. You know, if you mess up on a freaking canvas, you're, you're pretty much screwed. Whereas like, you know, the iPad, you could just hit clear and it's, it's gone, you know? So what are you using a stylus? Like what are, are you yeah, using? Yeah. Those- so I use, I use my iPad and like an Apple pen. And then once I get finished, I put it to after effects on, uh, on my laptop and then I animate it from there. Got it. Got it. Wow. It's, it's fat. I mean, you, uh, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, like almost videoing yourself creating it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have there's, and there's ways to do time-lapse on there too. Or just setting up like an old school iPhone and just like perching it up somewhere yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Bob Ross style. Yes. Yeah, you know, and... Yeah. <laughs> because so so all right here here's here's the novice in me you know as as i'm considering you the expert even though you're still new in it compared to me you're an expert if i'm sitting here and i'm drawing right now and i'm doodling as i'm talking to matt scherzer and i'm like hey there's some value in that i'm a nonprofit who is in the sports world who talks with athletes and i have this guy matt scherzer on who's talking about nft I'm not doing this, by the way, but I'm using it as a hypothetical. Um, I'm doodling this thing that's in my mind about the thought of talking with Matt on this. I want to NFT this. Like, can anyone just NFT anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, pretty much, it's a non fungible token. So it's you're you're putting something on the blockchain, and and that's. But does That's it have to be it. like when you say put it on the blockchain, when you create a piece of art, does it have to be accepted by the, you know, it, like how who who makes it officially part of that blockchain? I think you can go on anybody can go on OpenSea and put a JPEG on there and mint mint a photo and then it's on the blockchain. So so there's no criteria for what gets minted. No. No, I mean, there's there's certain platforms where you need to be accepted, but OpenSea is anybody can go in there and, and you can literally, you know, people are, are, are minting like memes from back in the day, like the owner of like the, the I think she's called the disaster girl or she's it's like the little girl who's standing in front of like the fire, like the house on fire. I'm sure you've seen the meme. And that just sold for like 270 grand. The owner of that picture sold it as an nft unbelievable and when when you're when you're saying 270 grand matt like you're doing the calculation in your mind of what ethereum to dollars because people aren't bidding in dollars are they yeah there's certain platforms where they they accept credit card man oh okay but but no i when when you like say someone bid you know six ethereum on a on a piece it'll come up us dollars too so you don't have to do the calculations. But as someone who wants, you know, you, 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 I appreciate your transparency with it because you're like, look, I'm playing baseball, but I want to consider life after baseball. Also, it's a passion of mine. I watch my dad do it, but I also love it myself and could see it as a potential, you know, uh, uh, career for me down the road. You know, let's, let's use the X and O's of our example 
um, when, when you were not kind enough to donate to us. What I saw in terms of what you were sharing, how much people were bidding, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, you were sharing the Ethereum number that they were bidding, correct? So what I would do is was share the Ethereum on on Twitter. And then once okay. once it was actually sold, then I would just take a screenshot of of the the piece that was sold and then it comes up Ethereum and US dollar. And do you it, it when that person bids on it and pays you? Does the money come to you as Ethereum or does it come as dollars? Do you have a choice of which it comes to you as? It comes as Ethereum, yeah. <laughs> and is that okay? So now we're gonna get into like the mental health aspect of this as we as we start to kind of round the corner on this. So so you, you he he buys it for a certain amount of Ethereum. I don't know what your confidence level is with Ethereum or Bitcoin or, or any type of cryptocurrency relative to the U.S. dollar. And by the way, that's not a judgmental comment. I mean, I mean, it's literally just an open statement. I don't know, you know, the, the confidence levels there. So do, do you do you for the sake of safety when someone buys something with um, crypto, do you automatically convert to us dollars like look you made a very generous donation to us i, I won't share with everyone what it was publicly but it came to us in us dollars so it, it, it would appear to be if you're taking the money in ethereum and you're giving us us dollars as a percentage of it is that a risk on your part or did you convert to us dollars first no so so when i get it it goes to my metamask and it's like you know 6.5 ethereum or whatever it was and then I transfer it to Coinbase. And from Coinbase, I usually always convert 50% of the sale. And I only do that because I get I'm really I'm a really safe play. I always am concerned about taxes. So I know that the chances are they're gonna tax at least 30% on the sale. And then I have 20% to kind of like, you know, do whatever we want with. So and for Ethereum, like, say I sell something, just these are just base numbers. Say I sell something for, you know, say one Ethereum is 10 grand and I sell something for one Ethereum and I get that 10 grand. Now, say Ethereum goes down, like, say Ethereum goes down to, you know, four grand and I keep it in Ethereum. I have to pay taxes on the sale at 10 grand. So that's that's why I convert almost right away because I don't want to be stuck with those taxes. You know, I, I I'm very, I'm, I'm a very safe player, man. Like I, I like money, but I'm not trying to risk it either. <laughs> well, is, is the conversion process easy for someone who's not been through? Very, it yeah. Very easy. Very easy. It's you just, you just press the convert button and it converts to us up. And, and, and that's, you know, a uh, uh, easily acceptable thing to do right now where no one's holding you back saying, no, no, keep your money in, in Bitcoin specific or in, in a cryptocurrency specifically. I'm, yeah. I mean, people are definitely telling you to keep money in there and, and I will, but at the end of the day, us dollar always plays. And, and this, 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 like this currency is so up and down that, that I don't, I'm not really willing to risk what I'm not willing to lose. If that makes sense. No, it does. And it, and it, and it, it, I mentioned it was a good precursor into this final part of the conversation, which is, you know, again, our, our buddy Darren is, is constantly on his phone looking at his, you know, his horses that he bought <laughs> um, and, and checking to see how much money he's made or lost on crypto on a given day. And, and the reason I thought to reach out for to you, you know, given that you playing in the space is because 
And if I have the date correctly, I believe it was last Wednesday, the crypto world, there, there was a really big hit in the value in crypto, right? Um, and so as someone who's, you know, now that you've revealed to us that uh, this is a space that you're looking at as a potential career after sport, um, it's a space that right now you're generating some money in that you know certainly helps and is a cushion for when after sport ends it's you're helping charities along the way you mentioned you know uh bone marrow transplants and 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 um and donations and and then you know again working with us with mental health you know being in this space and and doing it where where it's around such a currency that's volatile right now how if at all is that playing with your mind yeah like i said dude i I played super safe. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm checking my phone, then I have too much in there, you know, and, and I, and I was like that early on and, and, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm making this money. I want to, I want to see this money. So, you know, I have, I have full faith in myself to, you know, say I never sell an art painting again. I'll, I'll be fine no matter what I do, you know? So I'm not like, I don't, I'm not really a risky player. Um, like I said, 50% is good enough for me uh, so I can pay my taxes and, and still make some money on the side. But what do you, I mean, all right, so, so since you're, you're risk averse in that particular case, take me through, if you will, and you don't need to give names, like people in this space, do you think there's a real risk from what you've seen of people who are checking their phone all the time? And, and have you seen some pretty, you know, volatile things happen where people are, you know, it, it's gambling a little bit in a way, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't seen it, um, but I'm sure I would almost guarantee you that that people have lost their ass on, on some certain things, you know, and I, and I think that we're always going to to be completely honest, I think Bitcoin is going to go back up and I think Ethereum is going to go back up. So if you're in it for the long haul, like you're OK. But if, if you're trying to trade quick, you know, you, you could burn yourself for sure. Yeah, it's, you know, be, again, Darren lives in the in the in the space of gambling, you know, and I think that there's, you know, this 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 fine line between I'm doing it. It's entertainment. It, with Bitcoin, it's less just gambling and it's investment. Right. But it's anytime you're you're you know i think you're doing a great job of straddling that line between i'm being conservative at the same time i like playing in it right but it's when you get past that point and you're like i gotta chase myself and i gotta chase myself and i gotta chase myself where it gets really dangerous and and, and scary in a way um so wow man i you know a, a unbelievable conversation i, I really appreciate you 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 spending some time with us i know you got this game coming up <laughs> today so for everyone listening matt was nice enough to uh to find some time with us before prepping for a game matt i'll, I'll maybe maybe a good question to end on here is in in the minor leagues in baseball right now right i'm comparing i'm, I'm doing um a, a talk later today with the associate head coach of the golden state warriors a guy who's been the head coach for a number of different teams mike brown um, he coached LeBron for a while and then two of their team doctors and in the NBA and in the NH, no, excuse me, the NBA and the, and the NFL, both leagues within the last year plus, um, have mandated that teams hire mental health professionals to work with the players. Doesn't mean by the way, full, full disclosure here, doesn't mean we're at a place yet where the players feel comfortable going to them. 
that there's a trust level factor there that what they open up about is always going to be kept, you know, uh, 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 in privacy uh, and confidential. Um, doesn't mean that the players know per se what the um, what the doctors are there for, right? Whether it's you're there to be diagnosed versus you're there to just talk and open up and share. What has been your experience both um, on the major league level and on the minor league level as it pertains to mental health professionals at teams? Is it, it and, and I'll give you my the, the skeptics view on things from what I've heard has been there's mental performance coaches, there's hitting coaches, there's mindset coaches, but not as much on mental health specifically. Please, please, you know, counteract that if, if you can, but but want everyone to hear kind of what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, when I was with the Cubs in the minor leagues, we had two guys, and I, I thought they were outstanding. Um, they definitely were – you had one guy who really was like a pump-up guy, and then you had another guy who could who you could really sit down and talk to about life in general. And then in the major league side, we had Ken Revisa. And if you know anything about you know mental health or any kind of mental approach um, to, to baseball or, any, or any, the game of life, you know, Ken Revisa was, was the guy to go to. And, you know, I had so many conversations with Ken about, you know, baseball and about stuff that was going on outside of baseball. And, and he, he was always, always willing to help no matter what. And always had like, you know, he was the perfect balance between like a pump up guy and like motivator and, you know, a guy who was like really cool and calm behind the scenes as well. Um, yeah, and and pretty much, I think the, uh, the Padres definitely had one. I really didn't speak to him too much. Uh, the Diamondbacks made it made it a point. They had like three or four guys that were always coming around minor leagues and checking up on guys and and you know making sure they got what they need. So I, I honestly feel like you know they do a really good job. I could see the trust factor. Um, you know, I was always kind of confident and you know what I was doing, how I was doing. So I, I never really thought that me kind of bitching to um, a mental skills guy would would harm me, you know, if that makes sense. Um, or, you know, or if I was, you know, telling him something was going on, I, I never really thought that he would go and, and speak to the front office or, or whatever. But I, I could see that. I know guys are, are definitely weary of that. And that is that is definitely a challenge. Well, um, look, Matt, I mean, you know. Your perspective on this thing we call mental health, like this 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 grand topic that I think is much bigger than than even you know you and I realize it is, is is you have a certain confidence level in you that whatever you've faced, you know, we talked about this earlier, you use that as a jumping off point to then, you know, be even a better version of yourself. And I think because of that, your perspective on what the skills coaches or the professionals were there for you for um is all looked at in a positive light i think where i guess where i was coming from is you know and and i've heard this more in nba circles or or from other leagues is i'm dealing with stuff i i i don't have the same perspective as a matt i i'm challenged with this it's getting in my way I don't know if I want to talk to someone about it because what I've seen when we talk about it is I get this label put on me or the team's now keeping a closer eye on me. We had Mark Frazier on as a NHL player um, last episode, and he was saying the second he would like go over to one of these coaches or professionals, he felt it was like like Terminator, like they kind of had their eyes locked on him <laughs> moving forward. And it's like, 
okay, what's Mark doing? We got to keep a, an eye on him. Things must be going on. There must be problems there, right? So what, what, what I find interesting about what you say is I think sometimes, you know, our interactions with these professionals come from what our experience is related to how we feel in our mind. For sure, for before sure. Before we ever enter the team about mental health. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I was never – when, if I had to talk about something, I wasn't insecure about it. You know, I, I'm, I'm very like, I'm very realistic. You know, if I need to get something off my chest, I get it off my chest and then I'm kind of done with it. You know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even hesitate to be like trying to look at Ken Revisit to see if he was looking at me with, with, you know, Terminator eyes. Cause I would just be like, Hey, you know, I'm, we're, we're good. You know? And, and I think that, like I said, every, everybody's different, man. And, but we're all kind of the same. <laughs> good 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 way to to put it to the end man well well I, i'll say this matt you know we've got this alliance of different athletes different actors different musicians different artists you know ironically that have joined and are and are a part of this this movement that we have because i think the only way you know i was facetiously you know talking with you before we got on i think the only way that we change the conversation is by good folks like you who are willing to be open and vulnerable, all holding hands and sharing their stories, sharing what we just did in long form right here for the last hour or so. And and so with that, I, I, I think that that's a much different approach than we have this really large celebrity that we pay to be an endorser that you know can solve the world on their own because they've got a large platform. I don't think that resonates with the masses. I think what resonates with the masses is what you just said. We're all individual, but because we're all individual, we're actually all the same in the shit that we deal with. Um, and so I'd love for you to join our alliance. I know, I know I've sent you some information on it. So that's my public putting you on the spot right there. Um, but you know, you got you got time, obviously you've got you've got some stuff going on with baseball. So would love to love to have you be a part of that as well. And uh, and love to have you back on the show as well, man. I it, it's been awesome getting to know you. You know these the way that these connections oftentimes happen is, is things like a quick tweet from Ravel being like, "Hey, here's a guy," you know. Um, but that that often then leads to getting to know one another and, and relationships developing further. So so really appreciate the time that you spent with us. Yeah, man. Thanks for like I said. Thanks for allowing me to kind of share a little bit of my story. Absolutely, brother. All right. So on behalf of Theo uh, uh, and Darren, who I feel like we're sitting on my left and right shoulder, and our guest, Matt Serger, this has been We're All a Little Crazy, and uh, we will see you next episode. Thanks so much. You just heard We're All a Little Crazy, brought to you by the hashtag Same Here Global Mental Health Movement and the Hockey Podcast Network.